This week, the White House asks for billions to relocate Afghan refugees. The Justice Department sues Texas over its new abortion law, and Virginia removes the largest Confederate monument of Robert E. Lee it has. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back to another week, everyone. Um, This week is actually the 20th anniversary of 9-11, so that's something I'm going to throw in at the end there. But before we get to that, we've got plenty more to say um, and talk about. Uh, Before I begin any of that, however, I'd like to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. Make sure also if you'd like to support the show through my merch or my books, you can check those out on the shop section of my website, available in the link in my bio on Instagram, or if you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey, um, you'll find my website somewhere in there. Or if you go to my YouTube page, if that's where you're on, you can actually go to the my YouTube page, which is just under the stars with Noah Huey, and hit the link that says my uh, website, and it'll take you there. Again, that's the shop section where you can find my merch and my books. And again, that's really more if you're interested and less as like a necessity of any kind. So in the wake of the United States leaving Afghanistan, the White House is now asking Congress for billions in emergency funds to relocate um, Afghan refugees. This piece is from USA Today. The White House is seeking billions in emergency funds this month from Congress to help resettle tens of thousands of Afghan immigrants into the, into the U.S. A spending, in a spending request Tuesday outlining urgent needs, President Joe Biden's administration asked Congress to authorize $6.4 billion for Afghan resettlement efforts one week after the U.S. ended its military effort in Afghanistan. The U.S. is currently working to resettle Afghan allies evacuated from the war-torn country. White House officials also requested at least $10 billion for recovery efforts from Hurricane Ida and an additional $14 billion for other recent national disasters, excuse me, natural disasters, including Hurricane Laura and Delta from last year. Shalanda Young, acting director of the Office of Management and Budget, made the budget request Tuesday, less than four weeks before the current 2021 fiscal year ends, September 30th. Together, the requests total more than $30 billion. Young proposed the spending in a request for a short-term continuing resolution that would also give more time for Congress to pass a full budget for the 2022 fiscal year, which is set to begin October 1st. Federal government spending will end on September 30th, forcing a shutdown unless there is action from Congress. Quote, we strongly urge Congress to use the short-term CR to meet our commitments to to our Afghan allies and partners, Young said in an OMB blog post discussing the request. Quote, the operation to move out of danger and to safety, tens of thousands of Afghans at risk, including many of who helped us during our two decades in Afghanistan, represents an extraordinary military, diplomatic security, and humanitarian operation by the U.S. government, end quote. The funding for Afghan refugees would support U.S. resettlement options overseas and plans for as many as 65,000 vulnerable Afghans to arrive to the U.S. by the end of the month, according to the White House, and up to 30,000 additional Afghans over the next year. I mean, in the basic sense of support versus don't support... Oh, I accidentally went to the main page. There we go. In In the basic sense of support versus don't support, I mean, I'll be quite honest... And the thing is, I I think I've spoken about spending, and when people and one thing that kind of this helps me segue into is the is the whole discussion of big versus small government. Big versus small government is a highly simplified. It's a highly superficial debate because nobody really has a, a true definition of that. And it can mean spending. It can mean overreach. It can mean its constitutional authority, et cetera, et cetera. The issue I have often found um, is that is that people will kind of use the phrase very lightly, and I'm sure I'm going to hear that phrase once or twice. I'm trying to decide where to put my mask until I'm done recording. I, I've um, heard people use that phrase, and I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hear it real soon from Republican congressmen, but what I'm thinking of here in the terms of spending is, one, 
I don't know. It's in terms of the humanitarian effort. I mean, it makes sense. One issue that I would bring up would be that we, I mean, we never, it was really a kind of first come first serve for a moment there. So, you know, this playing the, it's a humanitarian thing for all the people who helped us over the last two decades is kind of, I think, a, a, a shallow move to make simply because of, um, simply because of the fact that I think I just don't like that the Biden and, and you know, administrations are highly I, that's just kind of the state of American politics at the moment. It's highly superficial and there's really no meaning to anything at this point. And it's, you know, all meaning is derived from whatever political ends you're trying to achieve. But there is a sense of urgency and I think care that does need to be placed into um, seeing Afghan refugees that are trying to find their way out of that country here. Um, I, I think that the. I think that it's a, a simple request. Now, people say, do you really need that much? And the thing is, I can't say yes or no on that because I don't know. It would be dishonest of me to say I know exactly whether or not all of these numbers are, are good spending limits for the things they need. Um, I'm going to give them the my better judgment because I am not a crazy person who thinks he has to be right all the time. But I, I certainly think that it's a bit much, especially so close to the end of Congress congressional spending. We especially don't want this to push into a shutdown because uh, we already we had to deal with that problem. If you remember in, um, what was it, late 2019, early, or late 2018, early 2019 under the Trump administration, um, it looked really bad. It was treated terribly. We don't need a similar thing to play out uh, under the Biden administration as well. Um, so, I mean, on the humanitarian side, it's a very simple yes. Obviously, we should ensure that the people uh, fleeing Afghanistan do make their way into the United States um, as swiftly um, but as cautiously as possible. But at the same time, I I would hope that, and I'm hoping this is already in place, that the government is highly scrutinizing all the details to ensure that everything's being played out right. That's just the reasonable thing to do to me. Be highly scrutinal, but... Also, don't be um, um, laborious in your execution of this, of this, I think, important uh, policy decision on the part of the White House. Last week, I talked about the new law of, on abortion from Texas. Texas it passed a new law banning abortion, I believe it's at basically six weeks. And um, the Justice Department is now going to sue Texas and block this abortion law. Now, I gave you a, a, my opinion on on the law itself and on the issue of abortion uh, uh, last week, though I do think it was um, maybe a little simplified because at the end of the day, I, I explained I really don't have a very strong opinion one way or the other because I feel like a lot of the questions that are raised in the abortion debate, nobody actually cares to answer. because, And it's something I was thinking about um, I want to say yesterday or the day before, um, was that in a lot of issues, not just abortion, in a lot of political issues, people refuse to answer the questions they pose because answering the questions means we could come to a solution and then that issue would be resolved. And what I've come to find in our political, uh, in our political, um, in our political environment, solving problems is a bad thing because when a problem is solved, that's one less thing you can use for clout. And if there's one thing that our political entities care more about than anything else, it's clout. It's not saving democracy or preserving um, liberal freedom for the people of the country that either party or any ideology, any of the political entities in our political um sphere actually care about. It's enforcing their ideologies standards upon the policy and culture of the United States. It's about proving that they are better than everyone and going to the most extreme lengths to prove that. Um, so solving issues is a te- is something that should not a- ever actually happen. If it means tiptoeing around issues to prove that you're right and using every last thing that happens as a, as a, as proof that you're right and your ideology is better than everyone else's, then yes, that's what they're going for. So when I say my, like, there are a lot of questions, especially on the, on the issue of, like, where does life begin? I don't believe anyone gives a crap where life begins. They just care about where they say it begins, whether or not that's actually true. And so I don't believe either opinion on it because I think both of them are most likely 
um, engaging in a form of confirmation bias to prove that their ideology is better. Because as I've stated, and I think there's enough evidence over the history of the United States, all 245 years of it, not just recent years, but all the whole time, I think there's enough proof to say that they don't care. So my opinion is highly mixed because I, I think... I, I don't believe this nonsensical belief that people who get abortions are just terrible people who hate happiness and all of these things that sit in dark rooms plotting to kill people. Um, I, I, I believe that organizations such as Planned Parenthood, I don't care about clashing with private organizations, though. Yes, there is merit to the to the belief that they were founded under the belief that we're going to try and practice eugenics, eugenics on on black Americans. That is 100% true. We can prove that by looking at quotes from its founder, Margaret Sanger, and, and things of that nature. But that doesn't mean that they're still thinking that. Whether or not that's true, I, I don't know. And I'm not going to say that they are, because that would be me making a widely um, unproven assumption just to make people scared so that they'll do whatever I say. It's a very blatant form of manipulation that only the low, the most lowest low of stupidity would not find. Um, I, so I think that a lot of the assumptions and a lot of the beliefs held about abortion are either wrong or um, highly miscalculated uh, under the delusions of ideology. If you remove ideology from the debate, it's very, very complex and it's very hard to come to a concise uh, conclusion on because either way you go, either way you lean on the issue, you're basically beginning to tread on on some kind of sacred right of someone, whether it be women or children. The issue is on the, on the children's side, I'm a little less secure in what I believe about that because of the fact that I, I truly don't think there's much of a consensus on truly when life begins because scientists either do things that are catered towards a certain opinion or are make missteps. And the thing is political ideologues, in this case, conservative ideologues, uh, won't care to make sure they did the, the right research. They just want um, research that agrees with them. So if it agrees with them, but it's a poor study, they don't care. And the same thing goes for, for the other side, the, the, the more traditionally, the more liberal side of this argument. Um, it's, not, it's not so much about finding whatever the truth is, regardless of whether or not I like that truth. It's about making sure the truth reflects my ideological belief system. And so I have a hard time coming up to a concise opinion on this because not a single person in the argument, I feel, actually cares about whatever the truth is. So with that aside, let's get to the part about the Justice Department um, suing Texas to block the law. This is from Newsbreak. Uh, or the, excuse me, this is from Newsbreak, but it's from um, USA Today as well. Um, the Justice Department is suing the state of Texas in an attempt to block the enforcement of a strict abortion law decried by the Biden administration as an un, as an untenable denial of reproductive health care for women. Quote, the Texas Act is clearly unconstitutional under longstanding Supreme Court President Attorney General Merrick Garland said on Thursday. This scheme to nullify the Constitution is one that all Americans, whatever their politics, should fear, Garland said. The civil action seeks a permanent injunction to keep the state from enforcing the law, claiming the state law is invalid and preempted by federal law. The Texas law, known as Senate Bill 8, bans abortions when a fetal heartbeat is detected, usually at about six weeks of pregnancy. The law doesn't include traditional exceptions for abortions, such as rape or incest, but allows women to have the procedure for medical emergencies. Another provision of the measure allows private citizens to sue abortion providers and anyone involved in aiding and abetting abortions, which Garland said would encourage vigilantes to seek bounties for bringing successful legal action. The federal lawsuit asserts that the state has deputized ordinary citizens to serve as bounty hunters who are statutorily authorized to recover at least $10,000 per claim from individuals who facilitate a woman's exercise of her constitutional rights. It takes a little imagination to discern Texas's goal to make it too risky for a for an abortion clinic to operate in the state, thereby preventing women throughout Texas from exercising their constitutional rights while simultaneously thwarting judicial review, the lawsuit, the lawsuit states. Quote, this far, the law has had its desired effect. To date, abortion providers have ceased providing services prohibited by SB 8, end quote. Um, First of all, the one thing that that gets on my nerves the most is the one that it 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 doesn't include exceptions for rape or incest. That's the one thing that bipartisanly people tend to agree on. Um, 
the one thing that conservatives have always said, myself included, is that rape and incest only make up about 0.5, less than 0.5% of of abortions, and that I think still remains true. I've I've yet to double check and see if that remains true as of 2021, but I knew I know at least up to 2019 that has always been the case. However, as my as my politics become less and less um, secularized, and I care less and less about anything that happens on, in, around, or related to the political spectrum or any single thing that resides in it at all because the political spectrum is invalid, um, my opinion seems to shift. My, my, my issue ultimately is I do not believe anyone involved in the abortion debate gives a tiny crap about anything that could possibly be true and will ultimately use confirmation bias to ensure that whatever they find, whatever information it may, may be, will in fact um, um, reflect their ideological beliefs. Meaning, for, for to simplify, simplify that that argument is that people involved in the abortion debate are not looking up are not looking for peer-reviewed journals they're searching on google am i right about blah 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 and ensuring that their opinion is reflected back to them because that's what these social media and that's what these online um, search engine algorithms do they just reflect what you already believe right back to your face um, and so that's what they're hoping to find. They're not hoping to find any kind of legible information. It's about finding some information that reflects their ideological values. So I, I, I really can't say because my first, if I were to come to a concrete opinion, I would start with where does, where is a fetus living? Some people say that it's living once it's out, once it's been born. Some people say it's alive when the heart beats of the child. Um, some people say it's all about the brain. Some people say it's all about the heart. My issue is that I, I, I can see the arguments for almost all of those opinions. Um, the issue is uh, it, there are some logic gaps and some questions left unanswered by a lot of those opinions that people don't want to answer. Because again, abortion is one of those issues that... What's the word? Uh, or what's the phrase? <laughs> Abortion is an issue that um, is one of those hardline issues that not a single person involved in it actually cares about the truth. Like there are issues where people there are there's a little bit in the middle where people are like, okay, well here's the truth. Um, but abortion is one of the issues that's super um, contentious and remains that way for the simple fact that not a single darn person involved in it actually cares about whatever the truth is. Because in their head, when they say, I want the truth, they're not thinking that means anything is possible, anything goes. When they say, I want the truth, they're thinking, I want to prove abortion has to be legal or abortion has to be illegal. They don't care about finding whatever a non-biased source may say, whatever a scientific source may say. It's about finding a source that reflects their opinion back into their face. So therefore, my opinion has become I have no idea because I can't find a source that that seems to have much credible information because 90% of the ones I find are catered towards one opinion or the other or just poorly done now it, if we talk about this on a, on a moral on a philo on a philosophical principle well the issue is you, you, I can't I simply can't because if you can prove the child is truly and fully alive, maybe dependent on the on the mother to, to until it's time for it to be born, but alive when the heart beats, well then obviously I'm going to probably put the child first. Because the right to life, I think, is one of the most fundamentally important rights. But the thing is, all the evidence that people talk about that proves that that's true is either outdated um, what's the word? Outdated, uh, unuseful because it's it's um. What is the word that means that it like it's not good? It's there's not been good practices involved. I have no idea. It's really making me angry that I have no idea what word I'm think looking for. It's either outdated. Uh, the study, the information is um ill conceived, or it is catering an opinion. Is what I usually find. Um, that or it's all buried by a bunch of media, social media, you know, media and um, social nonsense that nobody except a moron would care about. 
stuff. So it's either buried or it doesn't exist is, is, is what I think about what the truth may be. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I'm going to continue to not know until I can find some kind of credi- credible, legible information. And I'm not going to seek to have everything I believe reflected back to me, um, which is easy for me to do because right at this moment, I, I don't believe anything. I'm open to literally every opinion. So I'm completely open on this one. I, on terms of the constitutional one, I know exactly what they're going to argue about. And it's going to be the... Let me make sure I'm remembering it right. I think it's the 14th Amendment. Let me double check that. Um, I believe it's the 14th Amendment that's usually um, the one that people talk about. All persons born or naturalized in a subject to jurisdiction. And there no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Yeah, it's Amendment 14. Wait, uh, where, where, where the, how did that happen? I've lost it. It like went away. Let me look it up again. Here we go. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the one that people usually talk about. And they're going to talk about that one. And the thing is, conservatives are going to counter it with the life thing. And that's the thing I, why is it doing that? That's the thing I would talk about is that life is just as important as that kind of, as the liberty. It's the life and liberty right there. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty. That's that one part that conservatives and liberals are going to tear up into a million pieces until the law reflects their ideology. Um, and that's that's the, that's the biggest issue I have with it. Um, it's that they're not going to come to a scientific conclude... Conclu- they're, they're not going to come to a scientific rational middle lane conclusion uh, con- um, consensus that proves that one of them may be right. Instead, they're going to go as far as they can to prove the right, even if they're not. And the thing is, I don't know which side is right or wrong, because I honestly have not seen any information that truly proves either side is right or wrong, and neither side cares to find it. So at the end of the day, if you have an opinion on this, whether it's hardline for or against abortion... I think you should probably make sure that that opinion is not born out of ideological supremacy. That you're not trying to just believe that because you it makes you feel good. Newsflash, your feelings don't matter. Uh, ultimately, your personal little beliefs and stuff only apply to you and the people who live the exact same way you do. That doesn't suddenly justify you saying, well, everyone should do what I believe because my beliefs are better than everyone else's. I don't care. I literally don't care. That's not how the United States should or ever will work. I will literally die before I let that ever happen here. We're never going to function under one ideology, under one, uh, I don't know, gender supremacy, under one religion. The United States shall not ever offer itself as as a utopia for anything ever. It should not. Because history has proven that that does not work. It creates despotism and tyranny Unlike the um, the works, excuse me, I cannot say words today, the likes of which the world not only has seen, but hates. And it just creates a sense of tyranny. It turns its leaders into monsters who don't care about anyone but themselves. There is no way to defend a utopianist government because every utopianist government ever established has become a monster that kills people who disagree with it. And I think that's exactly, this is just another one of those issues that both sides, both sides of the aisle are attempting to move further, further towards that utopianist government that will inevitably become authoritarian. All ideologies, everything becomes authoritarian when it decides that it cannot be wrong and it cannot be denied. That's just the fact of the matter, I think. And um, I think that abortion is one of those issues that is like that, where nobody cares of what the truth is and will only find what makes them feel good. <sighs> Moving from that, we're going to we're gonna talk about Virginia. And this is going to be a short thing. I don't, I don't think this is going to be something that takes a lot of time to talk about. So this shouldn't be, this should be nothing. Virginia removed Richmond's largest statue from the Confederacy. It's a statue of Robert E. Lee. It was on a 40-foot podium, I believe. This is, again, from USA Today. 
Um, Cruz removed a 131-year-old statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee Wednesday morning, one of the largest and most recognizable symbols of the Confederate history in the state. Workers harnessed the 12-ton statue and removed it from its 40-foot pedestal, eliciting cheers from hundreds watching. Some were Black Lives Matter shirts, wore Black Lives Matter shirts, and chanted, um, hey, oh, that song where they go, na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. Yeah, okay. Um, they hugged and cried and celebrated the removal of the final Confederate memorial along Monument Avenue, which got its name from the parade of Confederate monuments along its path. It was a symbol of hate, B. Gardner of Richmond exclaimed. Now his eight-year-old niece can grow up honoring her racial identity rather than a lost history. Governor Ralph Northam watched the statue come down and said the removal was overdue because Confederate history does not represent what Virginia is. Quote, the public monument ref- monuments reflect the story we choose to tell about who we are as a people, the governor said. It is time to display history as history and use the public memorials to honor the full and inclusive truth of who we are today and in the future. About 200 people gathered in a fenced-off area to watch crews take the statue apart, including Ray Sean Graves of Richmond. If these statues were to come alive, they would probably not appreciate me or the fact that I'm a free and equal citizen, Graves said. Another witness, David Marshall, said his son has repeatedly asked him about the meaning of the statue. Its removal, he said, means his youngest daughter will not have to ask the same question. Mission complete, Marshall said. Um, the, the centerpiece of Richmond's Monument Avenue was the road's last remaining Confederate memorial after a movement to take the statues down. The movements, the monument's presence became a focal point for demonstrators rallying for racial justice last summer. Um, despite a last-minute effort to save the statues last Tuesday afternoon, crews placed a temporary boundary around the traffic circle, and Richmond police, Richmond police enforced bans on vehicle traffic and parking for several blocks around the site. The Virginia Department of, Gover- of General Services is likely to store the statue in a state-run storage facility until a decision on its disposition is made. Northam's administration said it will seek public input on the, statu- on the statue's future. I think this is a great idea. Um, on this whole argument about removing statues built during the Confederacy, I think it's a fantastic idea. What these people who what these people say about removing statues, where it's like they're destroying history, that suddenly because there is not a statue of Robert E. Lee in the center of Monument, uh, what's it called, Monument Road or something like that? I can't find it. Monument Avenue. These people who say that because there's not a statue of Robert E. Lee on Monument Avenue suddenly means that nobody's going to learn about history are dead wrong. First of all, the history that they, the, that 99% of these people are talking about, these are neo-Confederates who want the Confederacy to be glorified as the greatest thing on the earth. Newsflash, the Confederacy was a false republic that existed under the simple predisposition that they should own other human beings like, like cows, like chattel. That's why the Confederacy existed, so that the, its citizens, namely its wealthy citizens, could own slaves. People say, well, that's not true. Well, then why did, the, why did the vice president, in his first speech as vice president of the country of the Confederacy, say the purpose they exist is to own slaves, is for the noble purpose of slavery? I'll look it up. Alexander Stevens, I believe that's who it is was the man who was the former governor of Georgia and the vice president of the illegitimate country that is the Confederacy. He gave a speech, I think it was 1861, called the Cornerstone Speech. This is before, um, this is shortly after everyone separated. I'm going to make sure, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I will, I will find the part that talks about slavery. Commerce. Locality. Uh, cabinet ministers headed under the Secretary of Treasury, for instance, had an opportunity. Here we go. 
This is 1861. The cornerstone speech. And this is for this, this quote from the vice president of the Confederacy. Less than, when was this given? Less than, let's see, if this is March 21st, 1861. I think this is, just, I can't remember. This is just barely after Lincoln's, this is like a year or so after Lincoln's, this is after the Confederacy first formed. This is the vice president of that Confederacy. This is from one of his first speeches and one of his most famous speeches as the vice president of the Confederacy. This is for the people who say that the Confederacy existed not because it wanted to uphold slavery. I want you to hear these exact words from the vice president of that Confederacy. Quote, Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid in its cornerstone rest and its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. I'm just letting you soak that in. I'm, I'm letting all the neo-Confederates soak that in for a moment. The Confederacy was a sad, worthless, sham democracy, sham republic, who existed for the sole purpose of reaffirming to themselves, because they were rich, because let's think about this, it's not all the Confederates that owned slaves, it was just the rich ones, meaning Alexander Stevens and the president of the Confederacy and all the plantation owners. All the poor people were stupid enough to believe that if they fought for the Confederacy and the Confederacy won, then they would get to have slaves eventually. They were wrong because inevitably had they won, they would have stayed poor, never gotten slaves, and never become wealthy. But let me, I, I want to go back into this. The Confederacy was a, a sad sham republic that existed for a very, very short period of time under the premise that these wealthy plantation owners could protect their wealth by subordinating other human beings for labor. That's what the vice president said. That's not what a libtard on the internet said. The Confederacy existed for the sole purpose. Do I have to read it again? I'll read it again. I'll read it again. I will read it again. That's not, not my reading list. For the sole purpose of subordinating other human beings. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests, upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. That slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. That's what the vice president of the, of the Confederacy thought. So yeah, excuse me. If I believe that the Confederacy existed to preserve the act of slavery. Excuse me. I guess the vice president was just owning the libs when he said that, right? No. So what about the statues? Well, we should at least remember the sad, pathetic, worthless, sham republic that the Confederacy was, right? I agree. We should. We should. Everyone should know that the Confederacy existed. They should know the foundation by which it was built and why it lost the Civil War. And then, then they should know that it's not worth celebrating. Now, here's where I say that statues completely should be removed that are for the Confederacy. Statues don't teach history. They glorify it. We don't build statues 99% of the time to teach history. We teach history in a history classroom or in a museum. Statues are built to rectify something. They're built to glorify an act or an individual. These statues, many of which were built during the Civil War, are, were put there to glorify people who defended a, an, undefendable, an undefendable purpose and an undefendable country. country. A sham republic. They have no place being glorified in our current time when we understand fully 
that the, the things they fought for and the things they're being glorified for were worthless and not worth defending. Okay? That's why it makes perfect sense and it's a great idea to me to remove these Confederate statues because statues are built to glorify history, not teach it. And we have no place glorifying a, a, a part of history that does not deserve to be glorified. You don't see people building statues of Hitler and of the Nazis marching down the streets and of gas chambers to remember it. No, they teach you that in the museum about it. They teach you that in the history class. They don't teach you that by building statues of it that, that paint it in a fantastic light. Maybe if they built statues of the evil of it, yes, because you can use statues to teach the terrible things that happen. But this statue of Robert E. Lee especially... It's on, it's 40 feet tall. He's in this heroic pose on his stupid horse. This is not here to teach how terrible he was and the cause he fought for and how, how awful he was for fighting for that cause. No, it glorifies him for doing so. So it makes perfect sense to remove it because the Confederacy, nor does any of its leadership or generals, have any right to be glorified. That's what I think. That went on way longer than I thought it would. My bad. Um, again, I'd like to remind you, follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. If you're interested in supporting my show, you can do that through my merch or my books in the shop section of my website. It's available on my Instagram link. It's available on my YouTube page. Or it's available if you just search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey. It should come up eventually. Again, that's totally up to you. If you are to buy something, I would recommend the books first. Because they have a little more, it's a little more worth it. Not that the merch isn't. Um, you know, some of it's got some funny moments, like from season two. This is why people hate you. And then, of course, it's got the logo on it, because why not include the logo? It's got shirts, it's got sweatpants, it's got, I think, phone cases. It's got, I, I recently added um, a water bottle. So, you know, if, if you're interested in do, getting merch, then you can. But I, I would actually recommend the books first just because you can kind of get a sense of some of my philosophies earlier on and then a um, little closer to time. And, of course, one of them is a presidential biography um, of the Trump administration. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Again, it's a shop section on my website. So two things happened. I actually don't know if I want to talk about this anymore. I'm not. I'm going to remove it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's not worth it. it it's a judge in, in Florida. They ruled against a mask mandate, but then the appellate court just recently overturned the ruling. Listen, I think that in terms of mask mandates... <laughs> excuse me, I'm, I'm like super congested right now. In terms of mask mandates, I believe that um, first of all, I don't believe there is anyone sitting in a dark room rubbing their hands together going, how can we take away freedom today? That's just not happening. That's a stupid fear-mongering thing to say, and it's being perpetrated by people who want to prove that their ideology is the best so that they can ascertain more power, so that they can affirm their superiority, so that they can assert their supremacy over everyone else, because they're delusional and stupid. Um... But I think in terms of mask mandates, I say leave that up to the to the local area. If they've got enough cases where they believe it's necessary, do it. Let, let them decide. Stop telling local people what to do because you're an ideological crazy person who thinks that, that mask mandates equals Hail Hitler. It doesn't, and it never did. And you're just being stupid because you think that your ideology is the best thing since God and has to be reaffirmed at every single turn. Stop it. You don't have to be right. You're not always right, and you never will always be right. We are all just confused people trying to figure our way out through this health crisis, through our, our issues, and if we would just sit the frick down and talk to each other about it rationally and stop and just give up on these stupid, pointless, indefensible ideologies, then maybe we'd, ha we'd have some progress. But we're not going to until morons like Ron DeSantis stop believing in their stupid ideologies that they believe has to reaffirm and, and control every aspect of policy and culture in the United States. So I just think it's ridiculous. And it should be up to the local area, not the state. It's not their place to say. Um, 
There's a there's a there's a rally coming up at the Capitol that's gl- going to glorify the January 6th riot and call for Congress to like release all the people who attacked the Capitol. This is from Insider. And, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke on it yesterday. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi slammed those who plan on attending the upcoming rally outside the Capitol, accusing them of coming back to praise the people who were out to kill during the January 6th riot. Capitol Police are preparing secure, for security ahead of the right-wing po- protest in Washington, D.C. on September 18th, according to internal memo obtained by CNN. Intelligence officials told the Associated Press members of far-right extremist groups like the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers are expected to attend the rally. The rally, dubbed Justice for J6, aims to support the events of January 6th and demand justice, quote-unquote, for suspected rioters criminally charged in the insurrection. Support for the September event also increased following an unveiling of the identity of Capitol Police officer who shot Trump supporter um, Ashley Babbitt, CNN reported. In remarks to reporters on Wednesday morning, Pelosi condemned condemned those who intend on protesting outside of the Capitol on September 18th. Quote, and now these people are coming back to praise the people who were out to kill, to kill, out to kill members of Congress, end quote, Pelosi said. The House Speaker pledged to keep the integrity of the Capitol intact, but did not go into specifics of of security measures law enforcement will make to protect the building. A Capitol Police spokesperson told Forbes, the USCP is working with our local, state, and federal partners in preparation for September 18th. The D.C. Metropolitan Police will have an increased presence around the city where demonstrations will be taking place, spokesperson Brianna Birch told Forbes. Um, I totally agree with Pelosi here. First of all, this rally is ridiculous. The events of January 6th, I can't believe I've had to say this again, are not noble or virtuous in any way. They were a disgusting display of ideological ignorance and self-righteous superiority, proving that these people believe that their ideology is better than democracy itself, that if the people don't agree with them, they'll force the people to agree with them. And it's just, it's absolute proof of everything I've always said about political ideologies. That if they don't get what they want now and exactly the way they wanted it, they'll force you to give it to them. Because they've never cared about making the world a better place. They don't care about trying to do the right thing. They don't care about, about understanding that sometimes what you want isn't what will work best for everyone. They only care about reaffirming that they were better than everyone else and that all policy and all culture should reflect their values. And if it doesn't, And if any kind of data goes against them, they come up with ridiculous conspiracy theories. And if people start taking action against them when what they do starts hurting others, they become angry. They become violent. This is the end goal for every ideology. This is why communist China exists. Because two ideologies, which, to be fair, were controlled by by, um, other acting agents, the U.S. and Russia, but besides that, it was almost a mirror of what's going on right now. Two ideological parties believed in two different things. They both thought they had to get exactly what they wanted and couldn't in any way make the future better. Together. For all of their people. People who agreed with one side and people who agreed with the other. Because ultimately, when you create policy, you should do something that works best for both people. So if that means you need to create a system in which these people can get what they need while these people get what they need, do it. That's the reasonable, empathetic thing to do. But that's not what political ideologies do. Political ideologies internalize delusions of supremacy and tell themselves that if I don't win, if I don't control every aspect of policy and culture, freedom is dead, security is over, happiness is gone. And so they convince themselves of this delusion so that they can violently attack and, 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 and discriminate against every other ideology. And in China's case in 1945, during the Chinese Civil War, these two groups, I I don't think, I don't remember if they called themselves the CCP back then. They went to war, one controlled by the, one with backing by the U.S., I shouldn't say controlled, one with backing by the U.S. and one with backing from Russia. They went to war. Their political divisions became so bad, partially because of the U.S. and Russia, that they went to war with each other. And when one side won, it became a one-party, one-state dictatorship. That is exactly what will happen to America if we aren't careful with these ridiculous political ideologies. Either they have to admit that they can only do what's best for them but not impede on the rights of other people, or they need to get out of power. That's it. There's no alternative. And we as people, I think, need to stop glorifying their delusion. But the thing is, Americans are being dumbed down every single year. We're being treated like stupid, mindless pawns for power. We're being manipulated into believing ridiculous things and being told if you don't vote, 
for me, freedom is dead. And if you choose not to vote for me, I will make you sorry for it. And that's what they do every single election cycle. They abuse our democratic system. They destroy the principles of our republic. They manipulate our voters. And they do everything in their power to overturn our democratic system for a utopian one. Because that's what they're chasing. Utopia. They think that if they control every aspect of policy and culture, a utopia will be born. It will not. Not only are utopias inconceivable from, from their very conception, they always turn into dictatorships because the only way to uphold your utopia is to turn into a dystopia and to become an authoritarian, overreaching figure that has to destroy the freedom and security of people who aren't protected by your policies. Because at the end of the day, your policies may work for a large swath of people, but they don't always work for everyone. Now, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes what one side wants works best for everyone and the other side is just wrong. That, that I found that that is true in some cases and that's something I have to come to, to, um, to terms with. Because I always like to try and believe that everything's in the middle. Because in a lot of cases, they are. But I found that in some instances, one side is right and one side is wrong, and that's just how things are. But that does not mean that that's always the case. But that's not what these people who have become brainwashed into these ridiculous ideological uh, factions believe. And a part of human biology plays into this as well. The natural tendency to fall into a sense of tribalism highly uh, infects American citizens' ability to break free from the delusion of supremacy because the, the natural ability of wanting to feel good overpowers your very ability to reason. And so their ability to reason is completely overtaken by this tribalistic desire to be loved and to have a family that you don't realize that you're hurting other people and you eventually don't care because what these people do in their ideological delusion of supremacy is they tell themselves that the only reason the other people are hurting when I have power, when some, when I do a policy that only makes people who agree with me feel good and it hurts other people, well, you just have to convince yourself, well, the other people are evil, so they don't deserve to feel happy. See, people who want free Medicare because they can't afford private Medicare, see, when they get hurt because I won't let them have some kind of access to maybe a government option so that they can afford it better and have a good quality health care without having to pay so much and go into debt for the rest of their life. See, when they get hurt when I take that away from them, it's not because there's probably enough merit for us to have something like that. It's just because they're evil and they don't deserve that. Because they're stupid socialists or whatever nonsense, nonsensical lie you come up with next. Or, or the reason that, that some people who own guns suddenly get hurt when I take away their ability to own guns and now only criminals own them and are hurting them and attacking them and they have no way to defend themselves without the U.S. government coming after them for defending themselves. The reason they're getting hurt is because they're evil or because they're stupid. It's this delusion and we uphold it. Why? Why are we upholding something that clearly doesn't work? It holds us in gridlock, it forces us against each other, and it eventually will separate us. It will eventually become a tyrannical government. One side will get too angry, we will go to war with each other, and when one side wins that war, that's it. That's the end of America. We're done. If one side wins a civil war against ideological factions in the United States, the very concept of American government, of American republicanism, of American democracy, will die. That will happen. If we do not destroy this worthless political system. And that's that's something that I never thought I would agree with Bernie Sanders on. I don't think Bernie Sanders is the greatest politician. I would never vote for him for president. But he has a lot of things that I totally agree with. And his whole political revolution thing, I didn't understand it four years ago, but now I do. And I totally agree. Our political system is corrupt to the very core. It does not deserve to hold power. It does not deserve to exist. Both sides, both parties, both ideologies, all ideologies, all parties, they all deserve to have a little bit of a say. They all deserve to be able to run for office fairly and equally and hold power for a little bit of time. They don't deserve to control government for 245 years and only have one opposition. That's not fair. That's not representative of our country. And that's not a realistic way to function. And it doesn't work. And we have that proof it doesn't work. 245 years of grievance after grievance after grievance after grievance. This system of political delusion, self-righteousness, and narcissism does not work. And the only way to change it is to simply defy it. It, it sounds crazy. It sounds like you're chasing a dream. 
But the only way to defy a system that has caused so much pain and struggling because both sides think they have to get everything they want exactly the way they imagined it now, the only way to, to replace that system and to reform it is to defy it. Stop giving it power. You don't put out a fire by pouring gasoline on it. So stop pouring gasoline on it. And I'm going to use this to segue into my next thing. So the day this episode comes out will be the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I've been reading an article in the Foreign Affairs magazine about everything kind of related to that. And it's got a lot of points I want to make. This kind of delusion and stuff I talk about is stuff that I think helped 9-11 happen. First of all, 9-11 at all was Osama bin Laden thinking we were going to respond to 9-11 like the kids responded to to the Vietnam War in the 70s. He thought that was going to make us want to leave. What he didn't think of was that it was Pearl Harbor, basically. You attack America on its own soil, and I know Pearl Harbor wasn't technically American soil, but it was a base at the time. When you attack America on its own soil, especially when there are civilian casualties, that's not going to make us want to leave you alone. That's going to make us want to wipe you off the face of the earth. I mean, wouldn't you? The thing is, I actually agree with Osama bin Laden that we shouldn't have been there to begin with. We were done a while ago. But... He wanted to establish his religious, um, oh, what's it called? I think it's called an Ummah. Like, like, so the Muslim world, the Muslim religion, Islam, used to be connected like all one thing. It was all one thing. No matter where you lived in the world, there was all kind of one connection. Whether you're Shia, whether you're Sunni, whatever. But I think towards the end, especially by the time the 90s, the 80s rolls around, I mean, the, the, there is no Ummah, I think is what it's called. So it's, it, the factions were just all over the place. What Osama bin Laden was chasing was ideological delusion. He wanted to create a, a, uni- a unified Muslim world again. He wanted to go back to the glory days. And he thought one way to do that was to get rid of America. So he enacts 9-11. The thing is, issues like 9-11 and the way we've been handling it for the last 20 years. The invasion of... Oh, what's it called? Not Iran. The other one. The, va- the invasion of... Um, uh, what's it called? What's it called? Hold on, I'm, I've got to find out the name of the country, otherwise I'm going to be so upset. Hold on, let me go to Iran and go to the map. Iraq! The invasion of Iraq. Um, the invasion of Iraq. The holding of territory in Afghanistan. The same delusions that that are that led to the stuff like the, the, the Capitol riot and this now, this stupid Justice for J6 um, protest... The same delusions that build that, I think, have destroyed our foreign policy. There was a point made in here, and I I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it anymore. There was a point made in here that I thought was fantastic. Um, I don't think... I don't think I underlined it. There was a point in here that I thought was very important to make. that That U.S. foreign policy was highly overturned was highly consumed with terrian with or terrianism um terrorism uh effects basically since 9-11 our foreign policy we went away while other countries have been trying to address issues like climate change and 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 democracy around the world collapsing which is also partially our fault because we're occupying all these countries in the middle east thinking we can establish perfection there while the rest of the world has kind of been trying to address those issues, we have been focusing on trying to rectify 9-11, even though we already did that when we killed Osama bin Laden. Now, of course, I, I think it was a good idea to go after um, uh, uh, um, Abu Abdar al-Baghdadi, I think his name was, because he was the head of ISIS and all those other such things. But ISIS kind of came out of al-Qaeda after that, in that post-9-11 area where everything kind of, you know, it hit the fan after 9/11 for Al Qaeda. It wasn't. It was a terror. It was a miscalculation. Osama bin Laden is someone who's committed, who, who had committed many miscalculations in his plans, um, because he highly underestimated the United States, which was, um, which is laughable. But United States foreign policy is was overtaken by counterterrorism efforts, and while it made sense for a while, it stopped making sense after 2011. I think. It still would have made sense to go after ISIS and all those other such things, but it didn't make sense to try and create this perfect utopia in Afghanistan. It didn't make sense to try and hold everything magic to go- magically together there. It didn't make sense. And the thing is, it was 
it was funded in part by ideological delusion, by the same delusions of left versus right, us versus them nonsense, um, which increased the tensions at home um, between Americans who didn't want to support this war on terror. And it, it just, it dragged us behind. And so we've got administrations like the Obama administration tried and the Biden administration is trying to get us out of there, to cut our ties and to get back to a new age in American foreign policy. The delusions of ideological supremacy and the paychecks from the, the, um, the um, military industrial complex in Washington um, is still pressuring people to stay there. Delusion and bribery is existing at every point in um, in our foreign policy. And, it, and it's it was all a kind of a follow-up of 9-11. And what should be remembered about 9-11 is that it taught us that we aren't impenetrable, but what it didn't teach us is that we could handle that kind of attack. We could have come back from that much better than we did because we came back from that and things got bad and slow, and the United States couldn't get its immediate victory, its immediate satisfaction. It didn't quench its thirst for blood, so it started pointing at itself. It spurred 20 years of xenophobia and, and, and just hatred, and our political, our political entities, instead of admitting that their impotence kind of led to this 20-year, $2 trillion dollar I think it's like 200,000 casualty war, instead of admitting that it's their fault, they doubled down on those efforts to try and omit their superiority. And the thing is, the political stuff is not as important as as the other stuff in, in, in our foreign policy. But it's certainly a side effect. Or it certainly caused many things as side effects. And the lesson we could learn from 9-11 and the lesson we could learn from the 20 years of war and on this 20th anniversary of this event is that America needs to redefine its purpose. The United States was founded on a noble, honorable position of freedom and security for all the people. Life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. And that kind of philosophical ideal, I think, should be upheld in everything we do, regardless of polit politics. Republicans should hold those values for people who live their way, and Democrats should do the same, and libertarians and independents and unaffiliateds. We should all protect and preserve our own life and liberty, our own basic rights and securities, while, while not stepping on the rights and securities of others. That's the part that they get tripped on, up on. They delegitimize the rights, the freedom, and the security of other people because they think that they're better than everyone. Delusions and narcissism. And until we stand in defiance of a political system that empowers that kind of delusion, that kind of delusion will continue to corrupt our policy, both at home and abroad. And it, that could easily make us susceptible to another 9-11. God forbid... But that's what made us susceptible to it in the first place. Delusions. Big-headedness. Delusions of supremacy, of power, and of control. And if we do not upend a political system that creates and sustains that kind of narcissistic delusion, we will forever not be worth what we think we are. We could be a new America. An America that stands for an enlightened sense of purpose. A purpose of preserving the freedom and the security of all the people, regardless of ensuring that everyone lives lives of content and of dignity. And until we re-aim ourselves towards that purpose, we will never be able to truly come back from 9-11 and the 20 years of war it, it thrusted us into. And that's why I, I do this podcast. Even if it influences not more than two people, that's enough for me to know that I tried and made some kind of difference on someone to help turn around our country, to take it from the delusions and the narcissism and the self-righteousness and the endless corruption and, and, and destruction and point it in a slightly better direction. Because that's what matters. Because America can and will be the beacon of freedom that it once was 
if we if we repurpose ourselves away from winning and towards doing the right thing. That's my takeaway from this week. Thanks so much for listening in. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, if you'd like to follow my Instagram, that's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And if you're interested, support my show through my merch or my books in the shop section of my website. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.